much ground to cover uh, this evening. We are talking about the Christmas story in one week. And before I begin, before I begin, I want to tell you a story, something that happened last night. Um, Charlie and I were driving in the car, and uh, Brinley was with us. And we're driving in the car, and all of a sudden, Charlie says to me, he goes, Dad, I'm having bad thoughts. I'm like, you're like four. Like, what's a bad thought? Like, what's he thinking, right? And he's, he's like, Dad, I'm having these bad thoughts, and, and I can't get them out of my mind. And I'm like, he's like, I'm like, Charlie, what, what are these bad thoughts? What are you thinking? And this is what he says, literally. He goes, I have thoughts that Brinley's hitting me, <laughs> which is awesome because Brinley is half his size, half his age, and this girl intimidates the life out of Charlie. Like, he cowers in her presence. And so he's like, he's like Dad, I have these, 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 I keep having these thoughts that Brinley's going to hit me. And I'm like, Bro, she's not going to hit you. She's in her car seat. Like, you're okay. You're fine. And he goes, he goes, no, I keep having these, these pictures that she's going to bite my head off. <laughs> I'm like, this is horrible, man. Like, you live in fear of your little sister, dude. Like, this is not going to be good on your wedding day, man. But, but I'm like, dude, uh, Charlie, you're going to be fine. And then I ask him this. I say, hey, Charlie, what do you think about us praying about it? What do you think about us us, us asking Jesus to take away these thoughts and maybe replace them with something else. And so he says this simple prayer. He goes, Jesus, take away these bad thoughts. Take away these bad thoughts. And then it's like a second later and we have a worship song on in the car and we're singing this song together. And all of a sudden he goes, Dad, the thoughts are gone. Dad, I have thoughts of Brindley saying I love you. <laughs> he's like, I have brand new thoughts. And he's so excited. And he's so excited. And then he's like, Dad, let's sing. And so we begin singing worship. And I've never seen him sing songs like this before. It was as if, man, he had this burden on his heart. God revealed himself to Charlie as a four-year-old, revealing that his sister is not a threat, but his sister is good to him. And this happens. And all of a sudden, Charlie begins to sing these songs. He has this moment of prayer with God and it's because God has done some work in his life and you see the 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 the, the bigger your view of God the bigger your worship should be the bigger picture you have of God should affect the way you worship and so tonight we're going to start with the story of Jesus, the story of God becoming a baby, the story that Christmas is really all about. We're going to start it way back in the year 750 BC, but here's my, I want you to know my hope and my aim, is as we're going to talk through a lot of history tonight. We're going to walk through a lot of what it meant that Jesus came and that he was born. My hope is at the end of this that Jesus would reveal himself to you in such a powerful way that you would be more prone to worship in bigger ways. That tonight, because of how Jesus wants to speak to you and reveal himself to you, that afterwards you would go, whoa, God, you are far bigger than I thought you were. You are far more beautiful than I thought you were. You are more amazing than I thought you would. You see, every time we gather and do these kinds of things and we open the word of God, the goal is not just knowledge. The goal is transformation. The goal is that something happens in your heart and in my heart when we encounter the living God that we are compelled, that we are moved to worship, that something is different about us. And so what I invite you to do is as we open up tonight, I wanna invite you to hold your hands open like this as we pray. And, and if you're new to our community or, or you're just checking out faith, all you're saying here is you're just saying, hey God, if you're real, if this whole Christmas story is real, would you show up tonight? And for those of us that have been walking with Christ for a while, 
and we're hungry for more. We're saying, God, by your Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Would you speak to me? Would you teach me new things? Would you, would you magnify? Would you explode my heart? Would you fill me with such a passion to worship you that's bigger than I have right now? And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are in this place. I thank you that you are working in our midst. I thank you, God, that you have the power to transform our hearts and our lives, that you have the ability to take us from one place and to draw us so close to you that our, our passion and our desire for you grows and that we might look more like you and live more like you as you transform us. And so we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So. Tonight, here's what we're gonna do. Tonight, we are gonna get a little whiteboard crazy, okay? If you're into taking notes, there are pens right under your chairs. Go ahead and pass those pens out right now. I know you guys can do it silently and hang with us. We've got note sheets. We're gonna dive in deep, and I want you guys to be taking notes, so go ahead and pass those real quick. Maybe say hi to the person next to you. Say, oh, hey, what's up, girl? How you doing? What's up, dude? What's up? Say a little hi. Okay, everyone's got their pencils. Everyone's got their pens. Perfect, perfect. All right, look up here, look up here. Here we go. We're gonna begin. We're gonna begin tonight. Are you guys ready? Look up here real quick, look up here. This is gonna be interactive and it's gonna be fun. Are you ready, Haven? This one's coming to you. You ready? Here we go, girl. All right, we begin. We begin tonight's story. We begin tonight's story in the year 750 BC. Can everyone say 750 BC? 750 BC. When a prophet shows up on the scene, when a prophet shows up on the scene by the name of Micah, and Micah in chapter five, verse two, he says this. Shh, Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, let's see, Micah, Bethlehem, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me the one who will be ruler, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So this guy Micah shows up on the scene and he begins to prophesy that God has given him a vision that this city, Bethlehem, that is so insignificant, that is so small, that oftentimes is so overlooked. Maybe you feel like you live in that city. That you live in that place that's totally overlooked. Nobody cares about your city. There's no cool attractions. There's no amusement parks. There's nothing fancy about where you live or the place you come from. That's Bethlehem. In the year 750 BC, Micah writes, Bethlehem, a ruler is about to come out of you that's gonna change the world, 750 BC. Find me in Isaiah chapter seven, verse 13. This is in 700 BC, 700 BC. We got Isaiah, and this is what he says. Isaiah, the prophet, in 700 BC, 50 years later, seven, verse 13 says this. Then Isaiah said, here now, you house of David. Here now, you house of David. So we got David over here. Here now, you house of David. It is not enough to try the, the, to try the patience of human beings. Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. So this crazy thing's about to happen, a sign, something incredible. The Lord is going to show up in a powerful way, and how you're going to know that it's God showing up is because a virgin is going to give birth. Anybody ever heard of that? 
Anybody ever heard of anything like crazy like that happening before? Then in the year 700 BC, the text says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. You know what Emmanuel means? What does Emmanuel mean? Anybody know? God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. So essentially, in the year 700 BC, Isaiah says, oh man, I'm about to mic drop on you something crazy. Soon, like in a couple hundred years, God is going to be with us. And how you'll know it's God, because that's a crazy idea to think about God showing up. How you'll know it's God is because he'll have come from a virgin. I don't want to get into sex ed. We talked about that a few weeks ago, but that kind of thing just doesn't happen, right? We know how kids get here. We've talked about that before. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. Let's fast forward to the year 40 B.C. 40 B.C. Something powerful happens in the year 40 B.C. King Herod, King Herod becomes the emperor. He becomes the leader over Israel. So this guy Herod, at this point, Israel, which is where the people of God have been, this guy Herod, who is a, uh, who's a king, who's a ruler within the Roman Empire, he shows up on the scene, and in the year 40 BC, King Herod becomes king. And this guy is ruthless. In fact, it's told about King Herod that he killed his wife, he killed his kids. He killed family members. All because he thought they were uh, tagging up against them. They, they thought that they, they thought, he thought that they were going to try to take over his kingdom. And so he had multiple people killed. And from the year 40 to the year 4 BC, he is the king. He is the ruler over Israel. Which Bethlehem... Jerusalem, Galilee, all those are apart. The year 27 BC, the year 27 BC, another guy shows up on the scene called Caesar Augustus. You guys, this is huge. I know there's a lot of history, but this is gonna be really, really good in a second. In the year 27 BC, this guy named Augustus, Augustus shows up on the scene and he, he is the ruler of all of Rome. So not just the Israel part of Rome, but every part of Rome. He is the emperor. He is the ruler. And check this out. He was so full of himself. He thought he was such the man that he had this inscription written about him. That wherever he would go, you would find this inscription. Son of God, Savior of the world. Oh, this is going to get good. Augustus, in the year 27 BC, ruler of everything, has inscriptions all over his kingdom, including Israel, where it says about this guy, he is the son of God, savior of the world. Flip over with me to Luke chapter 1. This is where we're going to camp out tonight. Luke chapter 1 Beginning in verse 26, the year is, the year is 7 to 4 BC. We don't know exactly when Jesus was born. It was sometime between 7 and 4 BC because Matthew's gospel tells us, Matthew's gospel tells us that he was born during the time of King Herod. 
and Herod actually died in 4 BC. So we know that it was closest, it was close to 7 to 4 BC. So sometime between the year of 7 and 4 BC, check out what happens in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. It says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin. When have we seen that before? When have we seen that before? Back here, right? Back in 700 BC, there was talk of a virgin, right? Check out what happens. 700 years later, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So Virgin Mary is just chilling, being a virgin, just chilling, doing her thing, just cruising around. And all of a sudden, this angel shows up and says, greetings. Can you imagine how terrifying like we're talking an angel that's like on fire, that's absolutely blinding. All of a sudden this angel shows up and says, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. So she's going, oh man, God likes me. God notices me. I, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm getting a prize, right? Maybe I'm getting some kind of reward. Check out what she gets. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Mary, chill. Mary, don't, don't be afraid. You're cool. Right? Like, this is going to be good. And then check out what happens. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary? answered the angel. Since I am a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Did you catch that? The angel's like, Mary, we're about to make history, girl. And it begins with you not having had sex and now you're having a baby. Go home and explain that to your parents, right? Right? Go home and try to like make sense of that. But the angel says to him, no, no, Mary, Mary you gotta understand this is a really, really, really big deal. And as he's saying this, I think she would have thought about what was said 700 years ago about this virgin conceiving. But then notice what it says about him. It says, so the holy one to be born will be called son of God. Where have we seen that before? Thank you, Chris. Where have we seen that before? Right up here, right? You guys see what's happening here? You guys see what's going on? This angel is saying, hey, hey, hey. I know you live in a world where it's this, this guy named Augustus and he has like all the power. He has like all the authority. He's got everything. He's called all the shots. And in fact, he requires you, he forces you to call him son of God. Well, guess what, Mary? Through your womb, God, the real Son of God, is about to show up on planet Earth. Can you imagine how like subversive and powerful and crazy this would have been to hear these words? Because you see, in the time of Jesus, people who rebelled against Rome, they were crucified, they were killed, they were hurt, 
They were separated from their families. And so even this, even the fact that in Luke, the angel says, you gotta understand, Mary, Jesus, he is going to be the son of God. He is showing up on planet Earth. is incredibly threatening, is incredibly dangerous, is incredibly scary. And then follow me where we're gonna land in Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two, beginning in verse one. This is sometime between the years seven and four BC. This is what, this is how the story goes. In those days, Caesar Augustus. Remember Caesar? He's this guy who's been around for a really, really, really long time. Who is the son of God, who is the savior of the world. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So the reason they did these censuses is because they wanted to collect more tax money. And so a census went out under Caesar Augustus. And remember, he's the son of God. He's the one calling the shots. He's the one that everyone's putting their faith and hope in because he supposedly has all the power. He issues this decree and he says, look, I want you to know, you need to go to your own towns and you need to begin to register. And as the story continues, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. The town of David. Where have we seen that before? Check that out. Boom. Bethlehem. Back in 750 BC, Micah says, Oh, Bethlehem, you get ready because something crazy is about to happen. But Jesus' family, they weren't actually from Bethlehem at this point, right? They were from Nazareth. They were from Nazareth, which is way north of Bethlehem. In fact, it would have been super inconvenient. It would have been super strange for them to end up in Bethlehem. But all of a sudden, Augustus, who says he's the son of God, who claims to be the savior of the world, issues this decree that begins in motion the greatest story the world has ever known. Verse five, he went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Okay, so we're gonna pause here for a sec. How many of you have like manger scenes at home? Anyone, anyone have like the kind of manger scenes? You know what I mean? Where it's kind of like Jesus is in this stable. He's in like this barn. You know what I mean? Have we all seen that before? What's actually happening here in the story is different. That that was kind of a tradition. That was actually a, a, a misinterpretation of, of what this passage is actually saying. And this story is even crazier than that because here's, what, here's what's happening. Mary gives birth to this son and it says, the text says that she lays him in a manger, right? That she lays him in a manger. The Greek word for that, the Greek word for that is this. Fonte. Can everyone say fonte on three? One, two, three. Fonte. You know what the word fonte means? It means a feeding trough. It means a feeding trough. So when, when it says that, that Mary laid him in a fonte, what it's saying is that, it lay, that, that she laid him in a feeding trough, okay? Which this is where part of the tradition grew that, oh, he must have been in a barn somewhere. He must have been kind of out where the animals were. 
But then it says the reason that Mary laid him in the fonte, the reason she laid him in the feeding trough is because there was no guest room available for them. So here's, here's the word for guest room. It's kataluma. Can everyone say kataluma on three? One, two, three. Kataluma. Dude, we're going deep into the Greek. This is good, you guys. This is good. Kataluma. And here, here's, what, here's what kataluma means. Kataluma means the guest portion of a house. So let me, let me paint a picture for you. So in, um, in ancient Israel, here, we'll do it right here. This is my house right here. Okay, in ancient Israel, you have houses. You have houses, this is horrible. This is the worst house ever. Okay, you have houses that look more like this. Okay, so you got these square houses. And oftentimes the houses would have had two levels. So we have one level and two levels. The, the second level would have had some kind of partition to where the family, especially uh, for a home that, that could have had handled guests, there would have been up here, this is the portion that the family would have lived in. How awkward would this have been, guys? Just imagine this. Family members, like mom, dad, brother, sister, like these big families with lots of kids, every single one of them slept in the same room and they kept multiplying. Just saying, that's awkward. You know what I mean? Like parents, kids, maybe you guys don't get it. Okay, kids, everyone is in the same room. That's a little weird, but that's just how it is. And then you have the guest room right here. Now on the first level, on the first level, that's where your kitchen was. That's where uh, you kind of worked out of. Here's what they would do at night. Is at night, they would take all their little, uh, we're just gonna draw a little sheep. There are little sheep right there. Um, they would take their little sheep. I kind of like that. They would take their little bunnies. I don't know, whatever they had crickets, whatever that is. So they would take their animals, they would take their animals, and they would bring them inside on the first level. And they did that for a few reasons. One reason was they brought them on the inside so that their animals couldn't be killed, so that, so that nobody would steal their animals. They did it for a second reason, because it would insulate the house. It would provide warmth. And so here's the picture. Here's, here's the world that the Son of God is born into. I just want you to think about this for a second. Like God of the universe, the God who created and envisioned everything, the God of the universe is born into this kind of situation where there is a house that is so crowded that the family is occupying this room. There's already guests in this room. And so down here where the animals are, where houses commonly would have a feeding trough attached to the house so that when they had brought the animals inside of their own homes, the animals could eat and drink water and survive throughout the night. That in that place, the God of the flipping universe is born. And that's the first place he lays his head. I mean, God was planning for thousands and thousands of years to show up, right? We know Jesus' coming was not like his plan B. It's not like he was just one day bored and he's like, oh, dude, we should totally send Jesus. No. Like, this was all part of the plan. He had thousands and thousands of years to plan this, and for some reason, he thought this was the best plan. That the Son of God, who is talked about in 750 B.C. and 700 B.C., that this God would lay his head in a feeding trough. The reason we know this word 
means guest room and it doesn't just mean a barn somewhere is because in Luke chapter 22, verse one, Jesus says, hey, disciples, go and find a guest room where we can share our last meal together. And so this word, Cataluma, shows up all over the place to describe that part of a home where guests would be allowed to stay or where guests would eat together. But this house was so crowded that Jesus was down there with the animals laying his head in a feeding trough. Just take that in for a second. What does that tell you about your God? I mean, who's your God really for? Who can your God relate to? Can your God, is your God, is Jesus the kind of God that relates to the people who have it all together, who had a perfect birth story, who never made any mistakes, who didn't struggle in life? I mean, I think since day one of Jesus' earthly life, he's trying to make it crystal clear, hey, I get your mess because I was born into some mess. Hey, I get your brokenness because I'm born into an overcrowded home and I'm sleeping next to a sheep that's licking my ear. But then the story stops focusing on this scene and it takes us a few miles away. Verse eight, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. If you've read the Bible before, especially the Old Testament, there's tons of shepherds in the Old Testament who are awesome dudes. Guys who are really respectful, guys who are powerful. Guys who people look up to and admire. But by the time seven to four BC rolls around, shepherds are the scum of the earth. Shepherds are the people, as I've said before, shepherds are the people that, that when, when other members, when other Jews would kind of walk with their family and with their kids, they'd look at the shepherds and they'd whisper to their kids, don't you ever turn out like that. Don't you ever make those kinds of mistakes. And, and in the first century, in this world that Jesus is born into, there are two types of people. There are clean and there are unclean. And shepherds were about as unclean as you could get. I want you to think of whatever that, like, like the worst job that you could get right now, the worst thing that you could do, that man, if you did that, your parents would disown you, your family would never speak to you again, that they'd block you, you'd be out of the will. I mean, everything would be done. What would that job look like? What would that activity be that you would have to do to get that? These shepherds have done it and more. So these shepherds are out in their fields and they're hanging out. And it's been a long time since anybody approached them. It's been a long time since they had any conversations with anyone other than their shepherds. It's been a long time since the religious leaders ever came out to visit them. But God is doing a brand new thing. So he shows up even to these shepherds. And I want you to personalize this for a second. I wonder how many of you feel like a shepherd. That as you maybe are reading this and as I'm describing what a shepherd is, man, you feel that way. You feel like because of the things that you've done, because of the things that have been done to you, because of the reputation you hold, because of some of the things in your life, man, you feel so unclean. You feel dirty, you feel nasty, you feel disconnected. You feel like God wants absolutely nothing to do with you. And you're absolutely convinced that God is only interested in people who have it all together 
because God would never want to be in a relationship or never want to connect with anybody who's broken or hurting. And then, before I jump into this, let me remind you of what he was born into. And then this happens. An angel of the Lord. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. This has never happened before. This, this is absolutely insane that an angel of the Lord would appear to them. In fact, I imagine at this moment, they are gonna be so terrified that this angel is gonna say, I have seen what you've stolen. I have seen what you have done. I am here to literally like, light you on fire with lightning. God sent me. That's, that's what they're thinking at this moment. Because never would an angel show up in their day for anything but bad news. And yet an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified but the angel said to them, and some of you need to hear these words right now. Some of you go, man, in the presence of a, of a holy, big, huge God, e even if this is true, even if he was born into these humble circumstances, man, if, if God were to speak to me right now, I know it would be only condemnation. I know it would only be hate. I know it would only be abuse. I know it would only be that he is disgusted with me. But check out how God, through the angel of the Lord, Response, but the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. I mean, this angel is so stoked out of his mind because he, be, he gets to be the first one to show up to, this, to these shepherds who feel like they're just so far, so distant from God that God would want nothing to do with them. And he shows up and he says, Guys, guess what? I've got good news. I've got some great joy that I want to share, and it's for all people. Like, it's for everybody. This good news is for everybody. That means every single person on your school campus, this good news is for them. That every family member you have who you are just so frustrated with, who you don't fully understand, who you are wrestling to love, every enemy in your life, this good news is for them. For all people. And these shepherds, they must have immediately gone, even me? Like for all people, for me? And check out what's said. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born been born. You see what the story is saying? The story is saying Augustus is not the savior of the world. That whatever politician you like the most, he or she is not the savior of the world. That whatever relationship you're in right now, he or she is not the savior of the world. There will be a lot of people in our lives who want to come in and who want to tell us, I'm your savior, I'm your fix. That if you buy me, if you consume me, if you're in a relationship with me, I will be your savior. I will fix you. I will pull you out of this broken place. And yet in the year 7 to 4 BC, this angel says, I've got good news of great joy that's for absolutely everybody. Today in the town of David, a savior, like a true savior who has the power to save you from your sin, from your brokenness, from the death that you live in, that savior is for you. 
And you see, I think the reason that God chose these shepherds is because he wanted to make it crystal clear to everyone else for the next 2,000 years that no matter how broken your life is, that no matter how messed up things are, these shepherds can relate and the message, the good news, the gospel that Jesus has come as our savior was for them and so it's also for you. Check out the rest. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger, a feeding trough. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heavens and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And then here's the verse where I just want to wrap up. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. A few, um, a few weeks ago, this thing is like the most powerful thing in our household right now. The most powerful thing in our household. Because this, this controls the light in our living room. This controls the fan in our living room. And the thing is, um, I had a Adrian, uh, Chanel's hubby, I had him come over because I'm not really good at changing light bulbs, uh, much less like rewiring this kind of stuff. And so I asked him, I said, hey, our fan's not working. It wasn't working for like a year and a half. I was like, our fan's not working. Can you fix it? And can you add a remote? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. So he does it. He fixes it and he adds this remote. The problem was where I told him to put the remote was at the perfect level for little devious Brindley. <laughs> and here is Brindley's new favorite thing to do, you guys. And it is one of the most trying things I have to experience is her favorite thing to do is she loves to when Sarah and I are not looking she will grab this off of the wall and she will hide it anywhere in our house like anywhere she can find that's what she loves to do she loves to hide this thing and she will hide it like in her little doggy purse and hide it under her bed she will sometimes like sleep with it next to her she hides it all over the place and so I get home one night and I go and I want to watch a movie and like I've got a surround sound system. I'm feeling really good. And I want to watch this movie. And, and all of a sudden the light's on and I want to turn it off. And, and I can't like pull it. It's too tight up there. And so I look over to the ledge to get this and it's gone. And it's like 11 o'clock at night. And I know Brindley stole it. And so I go to all of her favorite places to try to find it. It's nowhere to be found. I'm a horrible dad. I go and I literally wake her up. And I'm like, Brindley, you've got to tell daddy, where the frick did you hide this thing? <laughs> Because this, I need, I gotta watch my movie. I need to watch it. Where did you hide this? And she won't tell me. She goes back to sleep. So I can't watch my movie. I'm depressed. I'm broken. I wake up the next morning. It's still, the fan is going. The lights are on. We wake up in the morning and I'm like, Brinley, we've got to find the remote. Where's the remote, right? And she has the attention span where she can kind of remember things, but then she gets really distracted and she's just run, many like you guys, she just kind of runs around and... And so anyways, we get downstairs and I'm like, all right, Brindley, where did it go? Where did it go? And we're going and we're trying to find it in all of her places. And then I'm like, Charlie, you need help too. So Charlie starts helping. And then they start crying <laughs> and they go like this. Brindley goes, daddy, I'm hungry. And I'm like, I don't care. Like, I just don't care. You're not eating until we find the remote, you know? And so, and Charlie's like, but dad, I didn't hide it. I'm like, shut up, find the remote. So we're looking in all of our places. We're looking in all our places. And Brindley goes, dad, I'm thirsty. And I go, no water until we get the remote. So we keep looking around the house and it literally takes us one hour and then finally in this little cupboard where I'd never seen her hide it before, we pull it out and we grab this remote and this thing feels so sacred and so special. 
And as I was experiencing this and as I've been reflecting on, like I do often, the, just the idiocy of my life and the decisions I make, I was like, how true is this experience for how I chase after so many other things? Like I'll binge watch Netflix for hours and at the end of it, I'm not like any smarter or brighter or it's nothing to brag about. I don't go on Twitter, Instagram, be like, guess what, I watched four hours of, you know, whatever show. I mean, I, that's not really cool, right? Or impressive. Or I get so obsessed with so many things and I put so much energy and so much attention to this. And then I started thinking about these shepherds. And I started to think about how they had this amazing encounter, this powerful moment with God. And the angels didn't say, hey, now go to Bethlehem. But their encounter with God was so powerful, was so life transforming that they say, let's go to Bethlehem and see what the Lord was talking about. So I have a closing question for you and it's this. What are you waiting for? I mean, God has shown up 2,000 years ago fulfilled prophecies that were 700 years before his time. He showed up in these humble situations to this group of shepherds. He ended up living a life and dying on a cross and rising from the grave. And he think he's sitting there with you and I looking us face to face and saying, what are you gonna do about it? I, I think he's looking at us and saying, what are you waiting for? I've shown up to you. I've revealed myself to you. What are you waiting for? I want to ask you students. Are you finding yourself chasing the stupidest, silliest, worthless things of this life? Or are you like these shepherds who go, this gospel, this good news is so beautiful, is so good, I must go and see what this is really all about. And that's where following Jesus begins and that's where following Jesus continues. And so I wanna ask you, I want you guys to go ahead and close your eyes right now as I invite Rob up. I wanna ask you this question. This story is so powerful. What's, what are you waiting for? Like what are you really waiting for? What else do you need? And I mean, what would it look like if God, if God showed up in this way? What would your response be back then? And what if I told you that 2,000 years ago, God is still in the business of showing up? And what if tonight God showed up in your life in a powerful way to say, hey, I love you. And this whole savior of the world thing is for you. It's not just for these shepherds. It's not just for other Christians who have lived before. No, no, this is personally for you right now. How would that change your life? I mean, another question is, what's your next step right now? What's your next step in your relationship with God? Maybe for some of you, it goes, man, if this is true, I need to spend more time reading the story of Jesus. I, I need to spend more time in the gospels learning about who this Jesus is. Or maybe you're going, you know what, my next step is, man, if this God has truly so served and saved and loved me, I need to go out and serve and love others. Or maybe for some of you tonight, for the very first time, you're going, you know what? I've never before stepped into a relationship with Jesus that I'm kind of like this shepherd. 
I, I didn't even know that there was a God who cared about me or knew me. And, and now that I realize that Jesus came as a savior to the world and that he came as a savior for me, that he wants to actually save me, then maybe tonight you want to begin a relationship with him. Your leaders are going to pass out some candles to you right now. And what we're going to do together is we're going to sing one last song together. We're going to sing Silent Night. And as we light these candles, as we light these candles, if your candle's lit, this is really important, guys. If your candle's lit, don't tilt it, just hold it up. And the person next to you, go ahead and, that isn't lit, go ahead and tilt your candle into theirs. And we're going to go ahead and light this place up a little bit. And as you're doing this, I want, I want to encourage you guys. If tonight, if tonight you've, you've never begun a relationship with Jesus, after our time together, I want you to come and talk with me. If that's what you're interested in, if you're interested in tonight taking that first step and following the shepherd's lead and saying, we're going to go and see what Jesus is all about. If that's you tonight, I want you to come and talk with me. And for the rest of you that are, that are in that place of, maybe you're apathetic in your faith. My hope is this story hits you like a ton of bricks and you recognize, oh man, God, you deserve way more than I've been giving you. And maybe you're asking yourself, what am I waiting for? The beauty is Jesus is in this place right now and he loves you and he adores you. And you don't have to wait any longer. That just by you singing from your heart how much you love him, that's taking the next step. You reading the scriptures and getting to know him, that's taking your next step. And so as we go ahead and...